The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. How lucky am I that I get to be here on a daily basis with you wonderful people. And by the way, we hope that this whole show is meant to be interactive. We are trying as best as we can to reach as much of the larger autism community as we can. Traven is going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect. While he does that, I want to remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. So much to do on that page. Um, you can find the toy and gift guide at the top. There's a little icon at the top that looks like a bunch of people standing there saying toy guide. Uh, and if you click on it, it takes you directly to the 2019 Autism Live Toy and Gift Guide. Uh, down at the bottom of the page, there's a chat button. If you click on the where it says chat, sometimes on some servers there's a red dot, others not. I don't understand that, but you know, fortunately that's not my job. <laughs> So if you, if you click somewhere there where it says chat, a little box opens up and you can be talking with us pretty much in real time. There's about a two minute delay and have your thoughts, your feelings, your questions and your concerns answered by myself or our experts that are here on the show. We have tons of experts and boy, howdy, have I got a couple of really fabulous ones for you this morning. I'm very excited about that. Um, but I mentioned before that we're trying to reach the larger autism community. What I mean by that is, of course, the individuals who are themselves on the autism spectrum, right? I mean, that's of course. Um, but then the larger community is everybody who cares about those individuals. So that could be parents, caregivers, uh, doctors, it could be, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents, siblings, you name it, right? Spouses, uh, all of those people. And we know that this is a very, it's a spectrum, and this is a very broad community with a lot of different individual needs because no two people on the spectrum are alike and they have different things that they need. But the one thing I think that we all have in common is that we care about the well being, the health, the dignity, the employment of individuals who are on the autism spectrum. So we try to cover a wide variety of things, but as I say to all of you, um, we have experts on the show to talk about things. I'm not an expert, but my role here is to help you to get to what you need. And I gave up mind reading to be an autism parent. I am a parent of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half and who's remarkable 
and like my favorite person on the planet. Um, don't even get me started talking about that. Um, but it's very important to me that I help that individual to get the things that are important to them and that, you know, he gets the support that he may or may, you know, because anymore he doesn't need as much support uh, because he got the support that he needed, right? Doesn't that make sense and isn't that glorious? So my role here, I am not an expert in autism. Nope, just don't even be mistaken. I know I have a very strident voice and I sound like I've got conviction because I have very strong opinions. And I would like to say that they're informed opinions, but that's different than being an expert. I have been hosting shows about autism for over a decade now um, and interviewing individuals on the spectrum, trying to bring information and inspiration to anybody that I can because I feel that it is my place on the planet to pay down that karmic debt because my kiddo got the help that he needed and what's more, I got the help I needed. So that's why I'm here. Um, I want to help you with whatever you need, but please don't make me guess. So you can be writing in on any of those ways that we talked about with Traven. And don't forget that you can always email me, s.penrod at autism-live.com. Don't forget that we are winding things down a little bit towards the end of the year here. And um, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of time off because I think we can all tell that, you know, we're at that point where it's like, stick a fork in her, she's done for a while, right? Um, you know? And I, I, like I've had people say to me, you really should take a break, <laughs> and I am. But um, that doesn't mean that I go completely away. You can still be writing in, and there are still people here, and I will check in from time to time, and, and I'll still be thinking about you. I, it's fun, you know, I, I'll say, oh, I need a break, I need a break, and then I miss being here with you. So um, what does that say? I, I kept moaning at, right before Thanksgiving. I was like, oh... I need a break, I need a break, right? And then I, I was so excited when I left here on Wednesday and I had done nothing domestic in so long and I was like, I'm gonna cook, I'm gonna bake, it's all gonna be fabulous. And by noon on Thursday, I was like, you know what? I don't wanna be a cook. I don't wanna bake. Can I go back to work, please? After standing over a stove for like 10 hours, I was like, enough. I like working and not being responsible. For, let the cooks and the people who went to school to bake, let them do that, right? I was all the way done and it was less than 12 hours into it. Um, and I just was like, can, can we go back to work now? I miss work. Um, so there you have it. Okay, uh, hey, it's Thursday. And on Thursday, we, f we like to start with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani are those experts talking about? What does it have to do with us? How does this save us time and money? Should we even bother learning what this term is? And sometimes there's nuances to the terms, right? So today's is an oldie but a goodie, uh, something that we talk about on this show a lot, and that's ABA. Welcome to alphabet land, right? Uh, so let's take a look at what the definition, well, what does ABA stand for first? Let's look at our actual definition here. ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, ABA, is the application of the principles of learning and motivation 
from behavior analysis. Well, that cleared it up, right? It employs procedures and technology derived from scientifically demonstrated principles of behavior to increase socially significant behaviors and decrease unwanted or inappropriate behaviors. Uh, do you like my elevator voice? Uh, okay, so as def definitions go, this isn't one that we necessarily would want to light our hair on fire, but it's not real useful if you're new to ABA, right? You go, hmm, I have no idea what that means, right? So let's take a look at our working definition of ABA and see if we can't get a little bit closer to understanding. ABA is a proven method of increasing or teaching desired behavior and reducing unwanted behavior. All right. I think we can all understand that, that there's, that it ha that there's a way of teaching behaviors that we want to see more of and a way of decreasing behaviors that we want to see less of. Notice that it does not say anything about autism in that sentence. Hmm. That's because ABA is a science that was invented a long time ago having nothing to do with autism. It just has to do with every living organism. And people on the autism spectrum are living organisms, right? So, um, but for a long time, ABA was not being used in conjunction with autism. And then in the mid 80s, uh, this very amazing thing happened that has a lot to do with all of us, right? Uh, this amazing doctor, Ivar Lovas, uh, decided that he wanted to use ABA First, he did a study um, that kind of started and stopped and started and stopped, and it was kids that were a little bit older, and his funding kept being uh, pulled. And then he started from, from seeing that these older kids, that they started and then they would have to stop and that they weren't retaining the information during the stopped periods, that they were regressing. So somewhere along the, 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 somewhere the idea came up to him you know, let's, what if we started earlier when kids' brains are a little bit more flexible, what kind of success would we have? And because he saw that there was an intensity factor even with the older kids that they did better if they had more opportunity, uh, they decided to do it very intensively and they got funding you know, thank whoever that was, right? I should know that, but I don't. Um, but they got the funding to do it, and thus the Young Autism Project was born. They took a group of kids that were between the ages of three and five. They spent two years with them and did intensive ABA. And that was 40 hours a week. That was the decision that they made was they were going to do it for 40 hours a week and see what would happen. At the end of two years, something amazing had happened that almost 50%, it was like 47% of the kiddos in the study had reached the point where they no longer qualified for an autism spectrum diagnosis. Nothing like this had ever happened before. And hey, by the way, the other group of kids were, were separated into two different groups. One of them made tremendous progress, but they still qualified for an autism spectrum diagnosis. And then there was a third group that they made progress too, but they were there was progress more on adaptive skills, living skills, and they were still going to need a great deal of support in their lives. And by the way, that was the smallest group of all of them, but they still made tremendous progress. And the families, all of the families were thrilled. And you know, word got out and people were like, oh, there's, there's hope for autism. And, you know, families started to flock to California to find out more and more about this. And, you know, more and more people in the field of ABA said, hey, you know, there's a study that says that ABA is effective for kids on the autism spectrum. Well, it took 
20 years really um, for insurance to get the idea that, oh, because insurance had been saying, we don't have to treat autism because, well, there's nothing that's effective, at, nothing been shown to be effective at treating autism, so we don't have to throw money at that. And ABA really put a crimp in their style because study after study showed that it was very effective at treating kiddos on the autism spectrum. And here's the headline, though, is that it was effective at treating all individuals with autism, that all of them had skills increased and had challenging behavior decrease. Now, to the extent that they did it was very individual, right? That some people got to the point where they no longer qualified for the diagnosis and other people learned life skills, sort of in a parallel to what that, that young autism um, study was that Lovas did. Lovas, by the way, and a couple of other people, one of them being Dr. Doreen Grampichet, the founder of CARD, right, that we have on the show. She was a part of that very beginning. She was one of the, the lead practitioners in that study. So, you know, when you talk about the genealogy of, of autism treatment, we're, we're like right there with, honestly, the last living person who can speak very effectively about what was happening in those early days because one of the other lead investigators, unfortunately, we lost last year, Tris Smith. Um, and Ivar Lovas passed away I don't know, probably seven, eight years ago now. So um, in any case, I want to make sure that everybody knows that ABA is a science. It's the science of behavior, and it is used in a way that is very individualistic. It is not a one-size-fits-all. If somebody is doing ABA with you and they're like, well, the first lesson we do is this, and then we do this with every child, and we do this, you know, that's not really what ABA is. That's not good quality ABA. And here's the other thing, is that there's a lot of misinformation out there about ABA. So I'm gonna cover two of the big myths about ABA really briefly. Um, and actually one of them I'm not gonna cover because I'm gonna let our expert, we have a question that actually has to do with it. Um, I'm gonna mention it though. A lot of people get confused about what ABA is and what the difference between something called discrete trial teaching and ABA is. And so I'm gonna, we have a question about that for our guest that's up in a few minutes. So we'll, we'll let her talk to you a little bit about that. Um, but the other thing that people, that parents will hear a lot, uh, especially from schools, schools have sharpened their knives a little bit. And I'm a former teacher, I love school. Let's not say anything bad about school, right? But here's the, the here's the, bottom base truth is that if your child doesn't attend school, school doesn't get paid. They just don't. They don't get money for your child if they're not there. So school has a vested interest in having your child come to school at a very early age if they've been diagnosed with autism. There are programs that start at the age of three. Four, if your child is diagnosed with autism, school wants you to come, right? And but at the same time, somebody, you know, your insurance company, your doctor, me, and a whole bunch of other people will say, go do ABA. Do that first and then go to school later on. Like when your child is scheduled to go to school at five. But at three, do the ABA because the studies all show that's what's more effective. And we shout this and we whisper this and school says, oh, you know what? 
I mean, there are studies about ABA, but your child is so high functioning. It would be a shame to put them in ABA. They need to be around kids. And I got to tell you, that sounds reasonable, right? Except that's not what the studies show. Studies show that if your kid is very high functioning, that throwing them in to a place with a bunch of kids to socialize before they have the socialization skills is not going to help them. It's going to frustrate them. So instead, you do the ABA, which is wildly effective with kids who are uh, uh, you know, very high functioning and have a lot of skills, a lot of things going for them, very effective with those kiddos. Don't listen to anybody who tells you otherwise. Go look at the studies. You don't have to listen to me. There are studies, right? So I, I know I'm getting hepped up. My blood pressure is going up. <laughs> so um, the other side of the coin is that schools will say to parents, oh, you know, your child, you know, ABA is really effective with those kids who have more skills, but your child doesn't really have skills. So he's just going to spin his wheels if you send him to ABA. Bring him to school and we'll help him here because we're good at this. And by the way, studies show that's not the way either. That if you have a kiddo who is, has profound deficits, that throwing them into a school setting is, is going to be frustrating, maybe sensory overload, and they're really going to be on a slow, slow path to learning. Whereas if you put them in ABA, an intensive program, that those kids are going to have their best chance at making their substantive progress. By the way, my kid was one of those kids. The placement that school offered us was for moderate to severe, the very, you know, the most restrictive environment. We said no. We listened to the studies. We put them in a 40-hour program with CARD, and oh my goodness, the difference that that has made. My child, who is taking his finals this morning and in the fall of next year, is applying to colleges and some pretty good colleges. I'm just saying. If I had listened to those school people uh, and not checked out what the science was, I would be kicking myself 68 ways from Sunday. So ABA is a very effective uh, behavioral science at changing behavior, increasing behaviors that we want to see, decreasing behaviors. By the way, great for Olympic athletes. They increase the behaviors that they want and they decrease the behaviors they don't want. Businesses use it. Increase productivity. Decrease people not coming to work, right? They use it in senior citizen homes to increase behaviors and get seniors moving and engaged and, and to decrease them isolating and being still. Um, is it also effective for individuals on the autism spectrum? Yes. Is it effective for everyone on the autism spectrum? Yes. And I know there are people who will disagree me, with me on that, but there's different intensities and different tools. You wouldn't do it the same with everybody. But it is the most effective teaching tool there is. Whether you're on the spectrum, you are not on the autism spectrum because it sets up a contingency where we reward doing the skills that we want to increase and we take away the reward for things that we don't want to do. That doesn't mean punishment, it just means that we no longer hook it up to a reinforcer. Um, we can talk more about that later, but I'm running out of time. In any case, ABA. I called it the miracle in my living room. I would tell you, run, don't walk. If you love someone on the autism spectrum and they are having a problem with anything, and that's if it's a, a three-month-old or it is a 37-year-old, if you're having a problem with something and you don't know how to circumvent it, ABA, your insurance pays for it now. 
because it's effective. All right, so that's what I wanted to say about AVA. We always have a question of the day for you. And as we are approaching holidays of all kinds, um, I wanted to ask you guys this question, and I can't wait to see what you write back. What is your favorite holiday memory? And um, I think it's important to identify these things because a lot of times we find that during the holidays we're chasing this, our favorite memory. And, you know, sometimes it's a memory from when we're kids, sometimes it's a memory from when we're older. Um, I love the holidays and I have so mem many memories from the holidays, but what helps me is looking back and knowing that some of my favorite holiday memories are when things were not good when things were like really, really dire and, and looking like, man, I don't know how we're gonna get through this. Like somebody in the hospital and like, how are we going to get through this? And that something, something happens, which doesn't mitigate whatever the bad thing is, but that turns it all around, turns it all around. Um, because there's always hope and I think that sometimes maybe we're more in tune with it during the holidays, or maybe it's easier for us to access it. I don't know. But that's, that's what I love, is that it, you know things, things can look bleak, but that there's something amazing that can happen in the holidays that helps to, to make it seem like you know it's going to be okay, that there's hope, hope, hope. So write in to us. Tell us what your favorite holiday memory is. And by the way, if you're one of those people that's having a really rough time right now, oh my gosh, I feel you. I, I've, I've been there during the holidays and I just want to say to you, I love the line from the, the Marigold Hotel where they say, it'll all be okay in the end. So if it's not okay now, then it's definitely not the end. Keep hope, keep hope. Uh, okay, so, uh, and then our topic for the rest of this week, because uh, it's a shorter week, uh, it is, you ready for this? Uh, celebrate when you can. Oh, no, we got the wrong one up. It's celebrate when you can. Uh, it says, <laughs> there we go, Traven. It's celebrate when you can. Because you know what? It's not always the time to celebrate, right? Um, although I would make the argument that if we're really truly being mindful, and on Thursdays we try to be mindful, there's always something to celebrate. You got up this morning. If you can walk today, there are people who can't, right? Um, somebody's got it worse than we do, for sure, for sure, for sure. So what, if, if you took three minutes every day to say, what do I have to celebrate? You know, you could call it, what do I have to be grateful for? Um, there's always something and we can, we can always find the other side too, right? You know, what's wrong is always available. We can go to it, but we talk a lot on the show about what, how we decide to configure our brain, what we decide to focus on is how we experience the world. So today could be a day filled with celebration if we want to. My question is, what have you got to celebrate? So celebrate when you can. There's something today. There's something today. I can think of someone who watches the show on a, re on a regular basis that I saw last night is going through a really tough time right now. Uh, that they've been going through chemo and it's been rough. And this particular, this particular chemo today is rough. And so I just want to say, if that person is watching, I see you. I, but I know the amazing mom that you are and I know the amazing things that you have done for your daughter and you are there today with your daughter. You may not feel great, but we're going to celebrate you 
even if you can't do it today, we're going to celebrate you. We're going to keep all of us keep a good thought for this amazing mom who's trying really hard to keep it together and keep alive for her daughter. But you're here today. We celebrate you, and I hope that you and your daughter have a great day today. Okay, um, moving on here, we've got some great guests for you today. Uh, up first, we always have our autism expert on Thursdays when we can. Oh, have I got somebody for you today. She almost never does this. Um, but I'm sorry, Traven, you said? Okay, but we have uh, Dr. Sienna Greener-Wooten. She is a BCBA. She's the CARD Clinical Quality Director, and she is going to be joining us in just a few minutes. I just was told that our second guest, unfortunately, we don't have today. There was a little bit of a mix-up that they thought they were on yesterday, and so uh, we are not apparently having them on the show today. But I'll take a minute to talk about how amazing she is uh, a little bit later on. We're going to take a break, and we are going to be back with with Dr. Sienna Greener-Wooten. Stick with us. Welcome back to Autism Live. I am so excited about our next guest because I don't know if, we've certainly filmed with her and I think at least once we've had her on the show live, but once in nine years. Uh, and she's one of my favorite people. Dr. Sienna Greener-Wooten is joining us via Skype. There she is. She is a BCBA. She is the CARD Clinical Quality Director. And I mentioned this the other day when I was talking about you being um, on the show that uh, you're the person who did the intake when I brought my son to CARD. And um, and Dr. Greener-Wooten was the person who oversaw our, our supervisors. And so she is a big part of our success story. I said to them, Sienna, that you are serious business when it comes uh, to this business of helping our kids get better. Um, but that I have also come to know that you are one of the most wonderful, kindest, sweetest people on the face of the planet. Now there, I've given it away. I know you don't like people to know that. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but I told them I lived in fear of you for years because you are serious. And, mm -hmm. and I appreciate it every day now how serious you were and how serious you took my son's progress and how serious you made me be about it. I think there needs to be more of that in the world. So thank you. Well, I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> well, it worked. It scared me into doing the things that I needed to do. So I don't think uh, I don't think you need to apologize for that. So explain to the the folks at home, uh, Dr. Greener Wooten, uh, what it is that you do at Card. Sure, I am the clinical quality director for Card, and I have a team of incredibly talented BCBAs that I work with. And our sole job is to ensure that the individuals that we work with at CARD are making the best progress that they possibly can be making as a result of um, our ABA treatment with them. That um, involves a lot of different things. We do observations of all of our patients. We review um, their treatment programs and ensure that we can see that progress is being made. And if we can't, then we will do some consultation with our clinicians to help identify ways that we could maybe revise the treatment plan or revise something that's happening to try and see better progress. I always explain to parents and say, you know, imagine if you could take the dream team. 
people who together have so much experience and have seen every type of kiddo in every type of situation. And if you were able to go to this group of people and say, here's my kiddo, do you have anything that you would like to add or teach my team to make uh, more progress? It would be your team, that you guys are the superheroes. You're, you're the, uh, I, that's how I always picture you guys is like the Marvel su superheroes. Um, so I, I say nice things about you behind your back. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah. what's that? Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so Dr. Greener Wooten is going to be answering a couple of questions that you guys have written in. I want to start with one that came in on our Facebook just yesterday. Uh, a parent wrote in and said, how can I help with my son who has been climbing almost nonstop when home? It seems like our audio's cutting in and out a oh, little dear. bit. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly fine. Did you hear what the okay. question was? I didn't, but I can hear you now, so let's try it again. Okay, so the question was, how can I help with my son who has been climbing almost nonstop when home? And I do want to say, I didn't give the disclaimer before, that uh, Dr. Greener Wooten is going to give in, uh, answer your questions in a general nature that no one in this format can give uh, individual specific advice. So, um, so keep that in mind. But did Dr. Greener Wooten, did you hear that time or should I call you? I did. Okay, great. I did. So it sounds like a uh, caregiver has a son who's climbing uh, pretty nonstop when home. So here, just like we would with treating, I think, any, any behavior that we maybe want to see decrease or go away, the most important first step, if possible, is to try and identify why that behavior is occurring, which is what we call the function. Um, and then also any other important patterns or information about that behavior. So in this situation, um, I would assume that he's climbing because it's, it's fun. It's something that he likes to do, but it, that could be um, an incorrect assumption. So, you know, what is he climbing? Is he climbing on anything that can be climbed? Is it happening at certain times of the day or after certain activities? Um, it doesn't happen when caregivers are engaged in certain activities, which might mean that he's trying to get your attention. So it's always important to try and figure out why it's happening. Um, and then from there, you can start to develop uh, intervention that addresses the why. Because if you don't address the why or the function behind it, it's just going to cycle through different uh, types of you know the the same behavior so um assuming here that it's happening maybe because it's it's fun it's a maybe a motor activity i would probably start with trying to find some more appropriate replacement behaviors for this um so can you get him involved in more appropriate leisure time tasks especially when you're busy um and it doesn't have to be something that he um, it doesn't have to be a structured teaching task necessarily. It could be something that he enjoys doing almost as much as the climbing. Um, that way you're free to do the things that you need to do in your home without having to worry about, you know, is he going to fall off of the bookshelf or whatever it is he's climbing. So that would probably be the first place to start is can you have him involved in something more appropriate when you're busy? 
and then to try and meet that same need, assuming, you know, if it's some sort of a sensory or, uh, you know, a, a physical need that he has, can you allow some appropriate and or safe climbing on a play structure, maybe outside, at regular intervals? Um, so if he's just, you've got a lot of energy, that energy's got to go somewhere. Um, so is there a way to maybe structure his time so that that's happening in a more appropriate way? Um, you can also potentially set some, some rules for what is and isn't okay in the home, um, what can and can't be climbed on. Sometimes they, you know, I'm not sure how old he is, um, but sometimes they have those, um, you know, lighter weight play structures that can be inside. So that might be an option. Um, and just give him those, uh, those rules about what he can and can't do. And then when he follows those rules, you should praise him and try and give him access to something else that he likes doing as well. So that would probably be the first place I would start here. Wonderful. I love all of that. Um, I want to move on to the next question because this came up a little bit. Our jargon of the day today, Dr. Greener Wooten, was ABA. And I said that we were going okay. to talk a little bit about this. Uh, but this question came in from a viewer. What's the difference between DTT and NET? Is one of them ABA and the other one isn't? Which one does my child need? This is an excellent question and one I feel like we get all of the time. Mm -hmm. um, they are both ABA, so we'll start there. Um, DTT is what's known as discrete trial training, whereas NET is natural environment training. They are both types of teaching that we utilize in ABA programs. There are actually even more. Um, these are just two of the more common ones. And I think they're probably confusing because we don't refer to them as discrete trial training or teaching or natural environment training or teaching. It's DTT or NET. Um, so sometimes we, we maybe don't explain enough um, why we use them, when we use them, and that they both are um, oftentimes crucial aspects of a good ABA program. So. Uh, discrete trial training is a method of teaching in more uh, simplified and structured steps. So instead of teaching a whole skill at one time, maybe, um, maybe a learner needs to uh, learn, let's say, um, how to express their actions. So I am running, I am jumping, she is eating. Um, that involves a lot of different uh, skills, right? So you've got the action, but you also have the pronoun in the she, he, I part of it. You also have tenses in there. You have the present tense. Those are a lot of, of different skills that sometimes we take for granted that you have to sometimes learn each one of those things individually. So with discrete trial training, what we would do is break that skill down to its smallest components using what we call discrete trials. Um, so we would start with teaching actions, uh, maybe not even vocalizing actions, maybe recognizing pictures of actions or demonstrating actions. And then we teach each step one at a time. Um, 
DTT is typically a method of teaching which is more adult-directed. Um, oftentimes, what's successful about discrete trial training is that we are using repetition of a skill um, until we see that the child is able to engage in that particular small skill completely independently of uh, any adult prompting. In discrete trial training also, the reinforcers that we use or preferred items that we use are chosen typically based on how strong they are. Um, and we use very clear instructions and again, repetition of those instructions to teach new skills. Um, it's a really great teaching technique for developing uh, new responses. It is certainly not appropriate in all situations for all skills and for all individuals. Um, contrasted with natural environment training, which um, are instructions that are driven more by the individual's motivation and are typically carried out in environments that either are the natural environment or much more closely resemble natural environments. Um, they are still structured in that uh, we are trying to um, limit access to certain reinforcers based on um, behaviors that we want to see or skills we want to see the individual engage in. Um, it's just, it's a little less structured than discrete trial training. We are usually not working on skills that are extremely simplified and broken up at that point. Um, we're trying to capture the current motivation of the individual. Um, and still prompting happens. Um, and this particular type of teaching is um, helpful for sometimes generalization of skills. Sometimes we even teach new skills in this format. It really does depend on the skill that we're working on as well as the uh, particular learner. Um, so the easy answer to this is that most individuals need both of these at one phase or another. Um, you can kind of think of uh, learning a new skill um, in elementary school. When you were in elementary school, there's no way I could have uh, learned, let's say, long division in the natural environment um, or multiplication for that matter or, uh, you know, any, any math skills. But um, I needed those skills so that I could uh, function in more natural environments. Whereas teaching other skills wouldn't be appropriate to do in a more structured setting. So you, you need a combo of both. Um, there's not a simple formula for what skill goes with what type of training or what type of child would work um, better with one method versus another. That should be something that uh, you discuss with your ABA provider as to what the goals are and um, kind of what you're looking to achieve at the end result of that task. And then you can come up with what the particular um, training methods are that would be most appropriate. But they're both methods of teaching that we utilize in ABA. They're both 
uh, very effective, and we use both of them quite regularly. Wonderful. I love the question and I love the answer. I, but I, when I'm explaining to parents some, what I, and tell me, give me a grade on this, Dr. Greener-Wooten. I say to them, you know, think of ABA as a toolbox. And, and that let's say that you were going to go outside and build, you know, a playhouse for your kiddos. And this would be the equivalent of saying to somebody, do I want to use a hammer or do I want to use a screwdriver? And, Absolutely. And you're going to need both, but for different things at different times. So Absolutely. there we go. Okay. So I pass. All right. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad. Okay. Our next question is, this is a great one too. How do I know when my child is done with their ABA program? Oh, this, this is a good one. This is one we get a lot as well. Um, and I think probably the simplest response here, uh, which is not simple at all, is when they've met the goals of treatment. Um, so it's really important then to clarify with your ABA provider at the outset of treatment um, what your kind of end of ABA goals are for your child. Um, and that could be different for, you know, for everybody. Is it uh, gainful employment? Is it maybe starting kindergarten without adult support? Um, is it being able to communicate needs and wants independently? Those are all very different goals. And this will depend on a lot of different things. So the age that ABA services start, for one, um, we have many situations where we have um, more young adults just starting out with ABA services. And the goals for that individual would be completely different for, um, from the goals for a much younger child starting out with ABA. So identify first those kind of end of treatment goals. So what you expect to get out of ABA. Um, and I know for, for many caregivers, it's hard to articulate those without knowing what ABA is going to do for your family and your child. So give all of your wishes and dreams and hopes to your ABA provider and ask them what is realistic for us to accomplish here. Um, your ABA provider can then help you come up with a plan um, to turn those uh, you know, larger goals into more incremental goals to get you from you know, the start of services to what you envision the end of services being. Um, your ABA provider should help you focus your goals as much as possible and help you prioritize those goals. Um, lots of, of skills are, are prerequisites for other skills. Um, certain things have to be worked on first in order to be successful and then help give you really clear direction for how to get there. Um, and then I think also important to the conversation is discussing any funding restraints with your ABA provider to know how long funding for ABA services will last. Um, you know, in, in certain situations, for instance, let's say services are funded by a school district. Um, in many states that ends at age 22, no matter what. So that would be important to know that, you know, at that age, um, those services, regardless of uh, the goals, would stop. Um, certain commercial insurance plans in certain states have age caps as well. So those are important things to consider 
um, they're just they're part of you know ensuring that you're looking at all of the different components that go into providing services. Okay, and then the very last question that we have today for you is how do I get my child to poo in the toilet? He's three and a half and has the pee in the potty thing, just not the poo. Help, I'm done with the pull-ups and the mess. Yeah, the, the poo in the potty is oftentimes a lot harder. Um, I think you said the child is three and a half, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes boys just take longer to figure out the pooping in the potty thing. Um, typically developing children, um, you know, kids on the spectrum. So I wouldn't, I know it's, it's probably not something you want to keep cleaning up. Um, but in terms of age, he is still fairly young. Um, so it is very likely that he will figure this thing out. Um, to kind of help him along though, what I would probably do is first speak to your uh, pediatrician to make sure there aren't any medical issues going on. Um, so oftentimes kids will avoid it. Adults too will avoid um, going to the bathroom if they're constipated, if it hurts, if you know there's something medically going on that uh, might make going more aversive. So. I would start there. If you're sure that that's not the issue, then you can skip that step. Um, your next and most important step, and oftentimes it's a lot more difficult than it sounds, is to try and find his schedule, his poop schedule, um, or identify pre-poop behaviors, so to speak. Um, so some kids are very predictable. They go, you know, every morning, or they go after dinner every night. Um, or it's, you know, predictably after a very large meal or uh, after a nap or after or before something. So the best way to do this, um, especially if you have a kid who doesn't go every day, is to document um, as much as possible when uh, he goes. So it might be easier to put him in underwear. I know that's not going to make the cleanup process um, easier, but you will probably be able to identify when he's gone, right when he's gone. Um, so try and find that. Maybe take data over a week's time. Sometimes what we discover there is that, um, especially for more complex schedules or patterns, that uh, if he doesn't go for two days, then he's going to go in the morning on the third day. Whereas if he hasn't gone for one day, he might go in the afternoon on that third day. So that's your first step. And then identify any uh, pre-poop behaviors, for lack of a better term. So um, some kids will try and isolate themselves. Uh, even though they're not going on the toilet, they want their privacy. Um, some kids will go to a certain location. Some will show signs of discomfort or, um, you know, whatever your child does, it lets you know, okay, I think he's about to go. Um, so once you've identified the schedule or those pre-behaviors, then what you'll want to come up with is your uh, kind of poop training schedule, which is uh, if you did um, training for pee, this will be fairly similar. So what you would do is to try and sit him on the toilet according to his schedule um, or those you know pre-poop behaviors and then let him know what he will earn if he goes. Some kids are actively avoiding going. So even though he has to go, he may not go right when you set him on the toilet. 
Um, so sometimes it takes a little while, a little encouragement, and letting him know that, you know, this it's okay. Um, you can give him access to preferred items while he's on the toilet to make it more comfortable um, and maybe give him a little privacy if he's able to sit there uh, safely. And then uh, when he is successful, because he will be eventually, then give him praise and, and provide that reinforcer. If he's really not going and he's been sitting for some time, you can let him up, give him breaks, but if you know it's about time for him to go, I wouldn't let him go too far away from, from the toilet. Okay, a lot of great information. We're so grateful. Uh, this was so wonderful for us, and I know that it's pretty early in the morning for you, so thank you for taking the time to be with us. Uh, and forgive me, because I'm gonna ask you to come back again, because it's so wonderful that it's like, you know, we want more. Uh, and thank you for everything that you do and for all the families that you help, including mine. I don't know where we would have been without you. That's going to make me cry, but thank you so oh. much. Thank you. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me on, and I would be happy to come back. All right. Have happy holidays. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi. That was Dr. Sienna Greener-Wooten. Um, she is a BCBA and she is the CARD Clinical Quality Director and I can't think of anybody that I would rather have be in that position ensuring that all of our kiddos get the very best of what CARD has to offer. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and I'm going to try to address a couple of things that you guys have written in about and then we're going to be at the end of the show but we'll tell you what's happening tomorrow because it's pretty good. Stick with us. Okay, we got about four minutes and I got a lot I want to cover, so <laughs> stay with me. Uh, we were, were really bummed and apologetic because we had scheduled to have on today's show, on our schedule, uh, we had um, Siri, who uh, is the wonderful young woman who does designs by Siri. These are fabulous jewelry pieces that she designs, and there are a host of individuals with different needs um, that work on those. It's a wonderful, wonderful business, designs by Siri. We had planned to have her mom, Swathi, who is an amazing woman. Who, she hosts her own radio show. She's brilliant, right? Um, but there was a mix-up, and they thought that they were on yesterday, and we thought that they were on today, and so I so heartfelt uh, apologize. I do want to let you know that we were featuring them today because we gave Siri a special entrepreneur award on the spectrum um, for our toy guide. So if you would like to buy some jewelry, if you have some last minute gifts that you want to do, let me just tell you, you should put your gifts and your money where your heart is and help, you know, give a gift to somebody, a bracelet that has that has a message that comes with it about autism and individuals of different abilities and employing them. Um, you won't be sorry. They have other things too, like wine glass chimes, great, great gifts. So you can find them on our toy guide. Please go and support this wonderful business and this wonderful family. And we'll have them on in the new year. But I apologize to them for the mix-up that they thought they were on yesterday. Um, and, that, and we just absolutely messed that up. And I apologize. So um, also want to take a second to that we've had a lot of questions that have um, come in and obviously I'm not going to get to all of them and of course my iPad has decided to be cantankerous. I do want to address um, 
that somebody wrote in about um, social skills and social communication. Of course, I always want to recommend that you look at the social communication and social language skills in skills, skillsforautism.com. And if you have access to it, there is something called the PEERS program, P-E-E-R-S, um, that's out of UCLA, but more and more people are trained in it. it it is a remarkable program for teaching both the, the kiddo on the spectrum and the parents of the kiddos on the spectrum. It, it's really one of the most effective things I've ever seen. Um, okay, then um, somebody wrote in and said, Hi, I love your show. My son has just started ABA at two years of age. Don't know if it's going the, all the right way. I can definitely see the progress, but not sure how programs like matching and give me will help him in the future. This is not what I thought ABA was. It's very robotic and far from the real world, um, real world nursery reception. Will ABA make my child always dependent to a one-to-one -one teacher? Also, can I generalize the program he is learning at home? Thank you. And let me just tell you, sister, I don't know whether this is a mom or a dad, but this is exactly, I could have written this 14 years ago because I waited and waited and waited, was so excited to start ABA and get in there. And then they were like, touch car. And I was like, what? 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 We want him to go to college, touch car? Like how on earth are we gonna, you want him, you know, and, they, and they'll hand him a, a red square and they go, put with same. And he's supposed to put it on the table next to the red square. And I'm like, oh, we're definitely screwed. I, I mean, I, that came out of my mouth, I said that. Because I did not understand the arc of ABA. And let me just tell you that that's where we started and that's how I felt. And that is like laying brickwork and getting trust and getting to learn through observation and to be able to you know, match things is like the beginning. When you don't have language skills and you don't know what the person wants, you know, being able to match something with the same is the baby thing that's gonna build up to. So I filled out my college application it happens. I couldn't see it either. So I just want to hug you. I want to make sure that you're getting good quality ABA. So write to me, s.penrod at autism-live.com. But you're at the right time, at the right place. And now not only can you take the programs and do them at home, you must. You must. This child needs to have 40 hours, hours of therapy and every waking hour at home. And you must follow through on what's happening at, at the center at home. That's the key to the success, right? Parents have to be involved. But I love this question. I could have easily written this myself. I always make fun of the touch car. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> like, save me, as Ileana Vincent says. Um, but you get there. Uh, okay, uh, for the parent who, we got a couple of legal questions that I'm going to save for Bonnie. Um, okay, but we had a question come in from India that I want to address really quick. Hi, Dr. Doreen and Mrs. Shannon. Wishing you both happy holidays and happy new year. This is from India. Can't thank you uh, for every, everything that you'll do. Thank you. My question today is, how do you guide parents about pursuing music or art to see if the child is gifted? Is it according to the interest of the child? My child has hyperlexia. She's good with numbers at a basic level, but has no savant abilities in math. Can she be gifted in music? Well, obviously, that's a distinct possibility. And I think one of the things that we need to do with our children, all of our children, on the spectrum and not, uh, and not on the spectrum, we expose them to a wide variety of things. And then we see what they're interested in and, and what feeds their soul and feeds their passion. I loved in Los Angeles, they would have something called a musical 
uh, an orchestral petting zoo. And the first time that my husband and I saw that, we were like, what is that? But you go and they have all these instruments laid out from an orchestra and a person sitting there with things to clean and disinfect them and the child gets to go and try all the instruments they want. Oh my gosh, like I wanted to be a child again. And this was not for kids with autism, this was for all kids, but my kid with autism was there and it's the reason why he took trumpet later on. So sometimes with math, we see that there is an, an interest in music. And let me just say, if your child is hyperlexic and she's good with numbers, please check out Khan Academy. That's K-H-A-N Academy. It's free and you can have art and animation and computer science and math all free. And you can take the class alongside your child. It has a, an incredibly, um, interactive way of teaching children and there's there's my alarm going off saying the show is over uh so check out khan academy that's for everyone and by the way temple grandin was the one who turned me on to khan academy it's amazing your child doesn't have to be a savant we're talking about you know exposing them to things and then if you see passion don't worry about if the skill is there follow the passion and then you will see that all things uh, will become clear about what your child is really really into and then it gets exciting i adore you all we are back tomorrow we have vince redmond with us tomorrow which i'm really really excited about uh so check that out um, and I, I don't want to forget to say Leah Hirschfeld is with us tomorrow with some really cool research at the top of the show that I know that you're going to be really interested in. So until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>